I'm Dave Schulman, president of Chess for 2022, and welcome to another conversation with Chess Leadership. I'm joined by... I'm Subhani Chandra. Uh, I am at Columbia University in New York City, and I am going to be the chair of Chess 2022, and I am the chair designate and currently the vice chair of the Training and Transitions Committee. I'm Anissa Das from The Ohio State University, and I will be the chair of the 2023 meeting in Hawaii, and I have been the chair of the Council of Networks, and I am currently the chair of the Sleep Board Review course, and was recently the editor-in-chief of SEEK with my good colleague, Dr. Schulman. You were the... You were the more senior editor, and I was just sort of tagging along, but I appreciate the opportunity to work with you. Thank you. (laughs) Hardly. So um, we've been filming a series of these, just opportunities for our membership to get to know folks who have served in different leadership roles. Both of you could talk about multiple different things, but what I really want to focus on today is your role as vice chair, chair designate for 21, the remote meeting we held, and then your visions for 2022, which both of you I'm sure have some thought about. And if you want to sort of opine on what 2023 might look like, give us a little sneak peek on the inside, at least what's deep in the cerebellum uh, (laughs) as to what we might be thinking about. That'd be awesome. All right. So let's let's start uh, a little bit with some background. So again, you had mentioned that you were at Columbia. You're also the residency program director at Columbia. That is correct. Um, How do you find time? First of all, I guess, how important are these extramural activities with chess? How do you find time for them um, in the context of a busy academic life? Oh, my gosh. They're so important because I think so much of it comes naturally. I look forward to them, honestly, because we get to work with a group of phenomenal people. They're amazingly creative. They care about our trainees, about our physicians, about our interdisciplinary collaborations. And I, it, it sort of fuels me to work with people like that. And I know people say that, and I am not just truly saying that. This is one of the brightest spots of my career. I mean, one of the, the pieces of feedback I sometimes get from junior faculty, regardless of whether they're academically uh, inclined or private practice inclined, is, how, you know, I don't have the time. How do, it, how do I, how is this worth it for me, right? It doesn't help me generate mm-hmm. revenue. Yeah. So what are the things that you feel like you get out of your work with chess that, no disrespect to Ohio, Ohio State, the Ohio State, yeah. or Emory, which is where I work, what are the things that you get out of your affiliation with chess that you may not get locally? So I, I, I think you, you almost, ironically in your question you answered it is that you grow your family and your network, right? So you're right, I have a phenomenal group at OSU, but it's great to have an even bigger group. So, you know, for instance, I had a question about a patient the other day and I called up somebody from Chicago and I've often called up people from, from Emory. And so that collaboration helps clinically, right? And it helps your practice and helps your knowledge base when you can speak with experts from around the world. So that's really helped from being in the network, I think. Um, and then I think the other piece is it makes everything you do fun because they become your friends, right? And that's sort of what you were getting at is you look forward to every time you come because working is truly a joy. And, I, and part of the reason yeah. we're doing this series of shows is to try to illustrate a little bit more about the yeah. people behind the positions. Because I think they look mm-hmm. at folks like us and they're like, oh, you know, very highfalutin and formal. And first. I want to give them that, more of that sense. So let's spin a little bit to the program. So we talked with your, your current co-chairs about the experience of transitioning to a remote meeting in the context of Chess 2021. I'd like to spin a little forward because mm-hmm. the, you all hopefully will have the opportunity to host in-person meetings again. 
What are you hoping, what are the things that you've learned from 21 you want, we'll start with that. Learn from 21 that we want to bring into 2022. I think, of course, be prepared for anything. (laughs) (laughs) And be able to pivot four times. (laughs) Yes, but also, you know, I think once you have your vision and your priorities right, we want all our attendees to really have a phenomenal experience all around. So they should learn, they should have fun while doing it, they should get the opportunity to grow, to engage, and whatever we need to do based on whatever is happening in the world and what's available. And I think the team at Chest is very creative. So coming up with new ways, I think as leaders, we are really innovators in education. So I think there is a, there is a wealth of creativity and experience to tap into. I do think that when we are hopefully able to have a meeting in person, People will be really, I'm craving that. I am craving being there with everybody and being in that meeting and experiencing all of chess, experiencing the games and experiencing, and and, you know, we'll, we'll, all the advances we've made in hands-on learning, in simulation, in virtual reality, all of those things that you can do so much better in person are going to be I think amplified because now we've been building for two or three years. So (laughs) do you have any concerns given that we've had two fairly successful remote meetings, 2020 under Victor Test, 2021 under Chris Carroll, Dave Zelensky, do you have any concern that there may be some trepidation about coming back in person despite the opportunity to see people because we've done a pretty good job of conducting a meeting remotely? Yeah, no, I think that's a good question. There are absolutely advantages, right? Somebody was tweeting how wonderful it was to be able to spend extra time with their daughter who they hadn't seen in a while. So there's advantages, I think, to being able to do something remotely. But I think what Dr. Chandra had mentioned is that craving people being together is different. And there's nothing that replaces the communal learning experience, right? When you're and, and why we try to do it online and the chats do really help. I think learning and... Um, and really getting to play off each other in learning makes a difference. And I think that's going to be, and, and competition, right? No. So competition is much harder to do online. Well, I mean, we even had games that we had planned for this year that I have developed that we have now put on hold. And they're going to be, we're going to bring them out right. next year. So we so. do have, as you nicely pointed out, I, I, there were things planned for 2021 in person, some of the in-person games, that we just couldn't operationalize exactly. remotely. And those, so we have at least, I think, two, if not three new in-person games that will hopefully pull off the shelf for the Nashville meeting. Plenty. Plenty more. So can you give us a sneak peek? I know that we're uh, we're really right on the threshold of beginning formal planning for 2022, but I know I've known you long enough that your mind has been planning it to some degree for at least months. Do you, can you give us a little bit of a sneak peek of, if not specifics about the program, but what your vision is? You know, I, I hear about togetherness. I hear about fun. Like, how do, how do you go about achieving those sorts of goals? Because those are big lofty but fairly vague goals, how do you try to operationalize those for Chess 2022? I think that there are amazing offerings, for instance, in simulation and hands-on learning that we will be able to really do in Chess 2022 full on. Um, And I think that integrating sort of that active learning and the many, many different ways we do that in um, is just better 
for the better experience for the attendee when they are there. It's sort of more of an immersive experience. Um, and so I think different formats of sessions, teaching, learning, some gamification, some edutainment, and all the hands-on learning opportunities with simulation are really going to be, I think, something that, that's always popular with our attendees. And in some ways, I liken it to being at a football game versus watching it on TV, being at a rock concert versus watching it on mm -hmm. TV. There's a buzz that comes with the crowd. Yes, you can hear the, the play, or you can hear the rock star, and you can sing along with the lyrics, or you can see the plays, and, but there's an energy that you get from being with other people that I just think we struggle with in the context of remote meetings. I, I think you've done an extraordinary job this year. You have the conversation starters, mm -hmm. which allow a little bit more personal, but it's hard to capture that buzz and energy of thousands of people in one room at a time. Well, and I think part of why that's hard, so one is when you're there, you're truly immersed in it, in a way that you can't be immersed when you're online. Yeah. And part of what I often talk about is we as women and, and, and as men have lots of hats. So I have my mom hat, I have my clinician hat, I have my administrator hat, I have my academician hat and my chest hat, right? When I come to chest, I actually get to leave several hats on my yeah. shelf. And it is one of the biggest gifts I give myself is to leave some hats on the shelf and just wear one hat for a week. Whereas when you're at home, you can't be fully immersed because you're still wearing your tower of hats. You know? I, that's a, yeah. wonderfully said. Um, you referenced it, so let's do a deep dive. I know both of you have been involved in the Women in Pulmonary mm -hmm. Initiative. You both have families. You're both very involved, both in your home institutions and at CHEST. What advice would you offer to folks like yourself up and coming who are looking to try to figure out how do I juggle all of these responsibilities? Because it's a lot. I do, I'll let you take that first, and then I have a, I'm a, yeah, got a I list. Mean, there's and so I many, and yeah, I think I'll, I'll that this, honestly, yeah. Which, how I handle or what's happening in the moment changes. It changes day to day. It changes sometimes moment to moment. But I have learned a little bit of you have to go easy on yourself. I think we um, often set very high expectations for ourselves. This must happen by this time. And, and um, being as realistic, knowing that it's okay, you can get something done, you know, um, in due course, but feeling good about what you do, what you create, and making sure, you know, sort of quality over quantity, and just, just doing one or two things. It's about, you know, we focus a lot on doing things right, but I think it's more about doing the right things, and just giving yourself the space to do that. It's okay. Can I, can I take my shot at that? Please I feel do. What, number one, I agree. It's valuing what you do. Um, and along those lines, actually, my boy's dad told me something that made me feel so good when I was a young mom, and it was, it's not necessarily the quantity of time you spend on something. It's the quality of time you spend on it. So being present in the moment, whatever you're doing, being fully immersed in that. And then the other advice, which is a little less... Um, thoughtful, but equally important, is anything that doesn't bring you joy, but is a task, if you can find somebody else to do, or you can help facilitate your life, and you can hire out, or you can create other ways to get things done, I would do it. Like, don't, I don't like mowing my lawn, yeah. because I would rather spend time with my boys, and I'd rather shoot hoops with them, right? So don't, if, if, if it's, everything has value, every, every task has value. 
Well, I, you know, I for one have to say you have both made an impressive mark um, <laughs> independent of anything else at Chest. Uh, and I imagine both of you are, will continue to climb and have opportunities to do great things. And I know both of you have served as great model, models and mentors for folks who are coming uh, up the, the chain underneath you. Can I actually comment on how we met each other? It's actually a great story. I, I like Why a good story. Okay. We were doing a panel one year yes. uh, at, at the, in the TNT um, training, lounge. training lounge. Yes. And it was on imposter syndrome. And we felt that the conversation was so robust that it was asked to be brought back again the following year. So we did it again. And we ended up talking about, why don't we just write this up? And so along with two other of the panelists, we ended up writing that up, right? And have really worked hard to create a culture of sponsorship and support in chest. Yeah, yeah. and you know, I remember you feel, or some of us can feel this pressure. You always hear network, sign up for things. And it's, even though you get that advice, it's sometimes hard to say, well, but how? You know, but apply to a committee, but how, or I'm not qualified. It's just, it's almost, I'm, come, I'm around, come around. You can go ahead, yeah, yeah. go ahead. One, I realize now looking back, it will happen, opportunities will come. Sometimes you just have to yeah. be patient and to not put too much stress on yourself um, that somehow, oh, I'm going to this next meeting and I have to network and I have to get on a panel and I have to do all these things. Um, just look out. Don't hesitate to volunteer, and once you do get an opportunity, just do your best, and the rest will fall into place. Go easy on yourself. The, yeah. Some of the best experiences I've had at Chester are actually sitting in the hallway and just like watching people, and people come by, and we chat. And as you um, nicely pointed out, Anissa, like great collaborations can just come out of coincidental mm -hmm, meetings, and absolutely. that's one of the other things that happens in person that is a little harder to capture mm -hmm. remotely. So as we knock this out, before we, we're gonna move into a sort of a speed okay, round, which is done, not girl. medical as much, but before that, any closing remarks on the medical piece, on your experience to chest, on what our membership should know about program committee, program planning, opportunities for growth at chest? Um, yeah, so let's say you have no, uh, the question I often get the most is, so I'm not on a network, I'm not on a committee. You say you have to have experience to get, what do you want me to do? Right. So here's my tips, right? So number one, show up. Show up at the meeting. Go to the open forum business meetings. That is a great way. That's actually how I first met people. I remember going to meeting like these huge names that I was like so impressed with and, and everyone's so lovely. So number one, show up and introduce yourself. Number two, go to the poster sessions. Somebody had mentioned yesterday, um, there's many calls for opportunities that you don't have to necessarily be selected for. Moderators, we needed a lot of moderators this yes. year. Almost everyone who asked to be a moderator was able to become a moderator. And then I think the last thing that I would say is social media. Social media is can potentially be underutilized as a way to be active, right? So using the hashtags for yeah. the topics, posting. There are so many people, young faculty and fellows that are really active in chess, and we all know, and they really started just by being active in social media. Well, I'll tell you my story. Yeah. How I, um, I applied to TNT, and at, because a colleague said, no, you should, it would be a great fit. And the reason I think I was given that advice is because they knew me, they knew 
that TNT is doing the kind of work I enjoy doing of creative, innovative education. Um, and my first reaction, though, was like, no, no, no. They want someone with more experience I'm than me. You felt, I'm unqualified. I'm unqualified. Yes. And they were like, no, you're exactly who they're looking for. And I applied having zero confidence that I would get selected. But I was. Right. So I think to not shy away, but also don't do something that is meaningful to you and feels right and feels your passion. And don't be afraid of failure. That, I, remember, I think that's a big yes, thing. Yes. You, I remember you telling, you were actually a sponsor to me. You're like, Anissa, you should apply for this. You're probably not going to get it. You actually said it. But you, no, no, no. But that was okay. Your point was you need to apply for something first and people know your name. And so I advise my mentees that all the time. Absolutely apply. Even though you very well may not get it, everyone who you applied for is going to remember your name the next time you come around. And as I recall, you and I met because of a third party. Yeah. Right. And I think it's more than reasonable to say to your friends, hey, can you introduce me? Because it's hard to step, mm -hmm. particularly when you're young, but even as you're more senior, it's sort of weird to go up to somebody and be like, hey, I'm so-and-so. Yeah. It's more than reasonable to have somebody who is a mutual acquaintance to say, hey, I want to introduce you to somebody who's awesome. It's called sponsorship. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So I'm going to move into a more speed round where I'm going to ask uh, questions that are shorter. And all right, So what's one thing either online or in person that somebody will say or write and it just rubs you the wrong way? Just mm. the, it just it hits that neuron in your brain. You're in the, almost like a funny bone. You hate when people say it or write it. Maybe you don't fight it anymore. What's that thing for you? So mine is a very bad apology. But when some, it, so not that phrase in particular, but when somebody offers a bad apology. Uh, yes, an apology that is... I'm really sorry if I hurt your feelings. I'm really sorry. Yeah. Just don't I'm ever really say sorry yes. that you you, really, yeah. you you feel that yeah. way. That's I'm a really sorry. Yes. Yeah, I'm really sorry that you feel that way. Yeah, that is like that grates on me, right? Like, don't. Mm. No, I'm sorry that I offended you. I'm sorry that I offended you. I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings. That's the apology. All right. What that's rubs you the wrong way? As she tries to say, again, you're delaying this, so it's your turn it's, it's, okay. it's, it's hard. I would say you're doing when, quite the, well. I want to give you a compliment when the first on these, answer is no, you know, to something or something that you're trying to. And sometimes the answer has to be no. But when it seems like the no is not necessarily backed by a thoughtful no or a no because or a no here's why. So I'll share with you mine, only because I think it'll hit close to home, is that like when somebody makes up a word and like instead of saying like umbridge, they say umbrinch, like that really <laughs> rubs me the wrong way. Totally. It's just, it's like, or, you, like you think you know the word, but you don't quite I, know I, the I word. Use your word. Yeah. So, so while that's an inside joke, it will be fun here people realize it's because Anissa Das may or may not have mispronounced a word earlier today. <laughs> It's possible that or, somebody in this room did do you that. you heard me mispronounce it, but actually I said it correctly. But I have evidence. And, <laughs> and co not even co-conspirators, like colleagues who are like, yeah, Umbridge? What's that mean? Um, what, what's, what's a, what movie is a guilty pleasure? What movie is, like, you love it, you hate it. Like, you don't necessarily wouldn't want to admit it in public because other people might not think it's highly well, of it. Now she's going to admit it in public. <laughs> well, I said um, you might not want to, but you're going to. Yeah, so... Um, so how about a recent one that, sure. I, that I wasn't sure I was going to like, and I, I mean, I loved it way more than an adult should. Well, there's two, and they're both kids' movies. One is Abominable. Is that and not so the, it's about, it's the it's about, animated it, movie about the Abominable it, Snowman? It's about a Yeti. Yes. Yes, as it were. It's close to home. It's so, <laughs> it does, a little yeah. bit. It's so well done. And the other one is Cruella. Well, with Cruella um, was the, the non-animated version. Emma, Emma Stone. Phenomenal. Right? Yeah. So well done. 
But those are both I'll, two. I'll put my to-do list. All right, what's, what's on your well, list? Your turn. It's, I'm not a big movie buff, <laughs> but something that I've been watching that actually my husband recommended that I have surprisingly enjoyed a lot is Ted Lasso. Oh. Okay, not a movie, but I will give you full marks for that. Yes. yes. Great Girl, philosopher, I, I would say. I, can, I don't know that I can... Ted Lasso is the first show in a very long time that my wife and I both enjoy yes. immensely. No, I can't yes. do that. That is going right. to ruin the whole Apple thing. Apple TV yes. is, should pay us any, any money that they get from uh, people who subscribe as a result Absolutely. of this. Absolutely. I just recently or subscribed. Or if, oh, if they know Neil Patrick point. Harris, who they might. Yes. If anyone um, knows Neil Patrick Harris, <laughs> yes. hook us up. Ladies, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Looking forward to future meetings. You outpaced me by a long shot. Thanks for joining us if you stuck around this long. <laughs>